All right, welcome back. We were having a conversation about the moratorium on evictions. The lines are open at 773-591-1690. If you're a landlord and you are concerned about uh, being able to pay your mortgage payment, have you fallen behind? You don't have to call and say it. You don't have to give us your name. But if you want to call in and have a conversation about it, please do so, 773-591-1690. Let's go to Earl from Hyde Park. Earl, how are you? I'm doing fine. Good to hear your voice and great topic. And I am glad you are taking the subject up to date. And I wish you would do a uh, around the uh, circuit conversation with all of the commentators because this needed to be shared at different hours of the day so people understand what's going on. You're doing a great job. All right, thank you. Uh, The reason why I called in also is because I'm trying to put a little bit more fear in the conversation is that uh, as bad as you have been projecting, I'm going to suggest it's going to be worse. Oh, the reason why I say it's going to be worse is because the Republicans are dragging their feet now, and Trump is already in. Once, let's say, we do win with Obama, I mean with uh, Biden, they will have no incentive to pass any relief for anybody after that. Nope. And uh, so if you're thinking that you might be getting a check later on down the line, everything is, like you said, it's going to be a domino effect. Renters, landlords, and then all of the people that rely on the landlords. And those checks are just going to roll downhill, and it's going to be worse than what anybody is suspecting right now. Everybody doesn't realize how bad it's going to be. And I'm really appreciating the fact that, you're trying to explain to us how bad it could be, but I think that we're really underestimating how bad the Republicans going to make it uh, after the election, one yeah. way or the other. But, but they Earl, don't care about mm. nobody. But you know what, Thank Earl? You, you know what, Earl? Yeah. I don't think it's just the I don't think it's the Republicans like the like Donald Trump opened the piggy bank now, like he opened the piggy bank like no other has ever opened the piggy bank. And that's and, 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 and I'm not listening to what I'm saying. And and much credit, like much credit to Donald Trump. But listen, I'm not giving Donald Trump credit because he did it out of some altruistic feeling or emotion. He did it because he's a businessman. So you got businessman Donald Trump who's not afraid to spend money, especially other people's money. So like the stimulus package that we received under Donald Trump was like, two or three times the stimulus package that we received under Bush and Obama. A Democrat wouldn't have spent this type of money. I'm telling you all right now. So, like, I know a lot of people don't like Donald Trump, but what he did to bail us out was unprecedented. I'm telling you all that right now, and I know people are like, but he put us in it. Yeah, but no. Okay? That's number one. But here, Earl, to your point, and then I'm going to get to some facts. 773-591-1690. Here's my fear, Earl. I don't think I don't think the Democrat I think it's worse if the Democrats are elected for the economy. I think it's twice as worse if the Democrats are elected. You know why? Because the Democrats are going to spend the first four years saying it's Donald Trump's fault. He did this to you. So they don't have an incentive to open up the piggy bank. They have zero. They can blame it on Donald Trump. But Donald Trump has every incentive in the world to continue spending money if elected because he's a businessman. The last thing Donald Trump wants is to say, hey, um, as a Republican, I failed the economy. As Donald Trump, he's going to spend he's going he's going to do whatever he needs to do to make sure that this economy keeps churning. I promise you the economy is in better hands under Donald Trump than it will be under the Democrats. And I know people don't want to hear this. I know you don't want to hear it, but I te- I'm telling you the truth. I believe it. I don't know if it's the truth. I just believe it's the truth. Now, forget that part. Let's go to Earl. Other point. Earl might be right, and I'm just afraid. Yeah, the Democrats are just going to tax the hell out of us. The Democrats are going to tax the hell out of us and say, it's Donald Trump's fault. You see what they did to us? 
You see what they did to us. If we don't ask them right now, what are you going to do to bail out the economy? How are you going to stop and stave off foreclosures like 2008, 2009? How are you going to, what are you going to do for the renters who are falling behind on their rent when this moratorium's in? Why are they not answering that right now? You know why? Because they're not thinking about it right now. The only thing they're thinking about is making you afraid. Look at him. He's a boogeyman. These people are boogeymen. But guess what? Guess what they're going to do for us? Nothing. 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 That's the answer. That's what. Now, Republicans are not going to do anything for us either, not because they care about us, but because they care about the economy. They care about they care about the stock market. And so as a consequence, it's going to be a trickle down like it has been. That's why the economy, you're not feeling the effects of it. But what's about to happen? Let me go in more specifics. These 3,300 cases that have been filed, if you're a landlord, I'm going to be straight up with you. File your case right now. Because if you file your case right now, what you've done is you've put yourself in line in the queue of cases to be called. The moment that they lift the moratorium, you need to call an attorney and file a motion that day asking for a status date on your case. Don't wait. Don't wait for them to queue you up. You're going to have to motion it up. If you're a tenant and you're in the city of Chicago, now I'm about to shift my hat. If you're a tenant, as an example, in the city of Chicago, you can hold up an eviction for another six months after the moratorium has lifted. Tenants are very smart. Let me tell you what they're thinking about, Turbine. If I were a tenant and I were dirty, let me tell you what I would do. And I hate to say it on air, but I'm about to say it on air. If I were a tenant and I was dirty, I keep all my money. So tenants are smart. They're going to keep all of their money. Because they know they can keep their money to the end of the year, so they're going to save 10000 And then they know when you file that eviction, when you finally get in the queue, it's going to take you six months to get me out. So I'm going to save another six months. So a tenant's going to sit around. They're going to have fifteen, eighteen thousand. 18000 A lot of tenants might be saying to themselves, hey, I'll take my girlfriend's credit and I'll go buy a property. Or I'll go buy a rehab cash, Hannah. Or I'll save some money or before before the default hits their credit, because in order for the, the, the default on the rent to hit their credit, you must first obtain a judgment. So their credit is not being impacted by being behind on their rent. If I were a tenant, I'd save 15, 20,000. And right now is the perfect time to go out and try to buy a house or a condo. Why would I keep paying rent? They know this. Seven seven three five nine one sixteen ninety. We have to take a break. Traffic and weather is up next. Landlords lament Pritzker's eviction moratorium. I don't want to get too much into Trump and the economy. I don't. I went on a. I went off track. So in what now? I'm talking about the evictions. We'll be right back. Let's go. Bienvenido a WVOM Morning Show. Te presento Ernesto B. Fenton. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Turbine. That's what I'm talking about. <sighs> Welcome back to the Morning Show. I like that. I need to learn that. I need to learn that right there. <laughs> Welcome back to the Morning Show. I am Ernesto Fenton. Listen, I'm sorry. I, I only have about five or six more minutes. And Hannah is like about to explode over there with questions. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Hannah, fine. Go ahead. What? What? What is it? Okay. So you were just <laughs> talking about, I mean, you were just dropping some gems. You were talking about ten, um, tenants. Yes. And the control that they have. So just to have a better understanding, make sure I heard that correctly. Tenants are don't have to technically pay rent. No. There's a moratorium. Okay. They have to pay rent technically. Mm, okay. But practically, you cannot enforce them. You cannot enforce their payment of rent. Okay. Your mechanism to enforce the payment of rent is, is through an eviction. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, your an eviction is your mechanism to enforce them to leave your property. Got it. But you can't even do that right now. Because there's a moratorium, I believe, through the end of the year, December. And then guess what? Guess what happens when December comes? Mm -hmm. It'll be too cold. So then evictions will be most likely there will be another moratorium because if the temperature is below a certain degree, Mm -hmm. you cannot go forward with an, an eviction. But so so now the courts may be moving along and it's going to take 
I'm going to with the 3,300 cases backlogged. And what if what if what if COVID is still happening? So right now, most of our cases are being heard through Zoom. So it's not like you can pile 100 people in a courtroom Mm -hmm. and then go through the eviction process. What are you going to have 100 people on Zoom? You're not going to do that. So the process is going to move slow as a procedural matter in light of what the current circumstances is. Here's the other thing. If you're a tenant and you're the city of Chicago, there's a statute. It's called the Chicago Residential Landlord Tenant Ordinance. So the tenants are going to start suing the landlords. I I, I promise you, if I were a dirty lawyer, I'd go out and make so much money. That's why I have to leave the show. Because, I'm telling you, Hannah, you better come on, Hannah, come out here, but sit across how, from me. How with the tenants? Because under the them. Chicago Residential Landlord Tenant Ordinance, mm-hmm. if the landlord has failed to do several one of several things, i.e., deposit their security depo- uh, their security deposit in an interest bearing account, the tenant can sue the landlord for like one and a half times their security deposit. A lot of tenants are going to call the city of Chicago building department on their landlord when the winter time hits, because guess why? Because the tenant has not paid the landlord for three to six months. Show me a landlord who's going to go to a property and fix or make some repairs when the tenant has not paid them in six months. Show me that landlord. So what's going to happen? These tenants, they're not going over there. So the furnace now, when it's time to turn on the heat and the furnace doesn't work, guess what landlords are going to say? Oh, well. Oh, well. Then what's going to happen? They're going to overwhelm the city of Chicago building department or the uh, code enforcement department because they're going to start calling 311, 311, 311. Are you following? And so then they're going to call the city on the landlord. And then guess what the city of Chicago is going to do? They're going to send out building code inspectors, and then they're going to write tickets on the landlord. So now the landlord is really pissed. You haven't paid me rent in six months. Mm -hmm. I'm still paying a mortgage. I still have to pay taxes. But guess what? Landlords are not paying taxes right now. Mm -hmm. You know why landlords are not paying their property taxes right now? Because they don't have the damn money to pay their property taxes right now. And guess what else type of moratorium we have going on right now? Property tax sales are on. uh, There's a moratorium on property tax sales. But let's say soon as they lift the moratorium on the property tax sales and they start going back to the tax sales, all the tax buyers. Guess where the tax buyers are? Guess who they are? The largest two or three tax buyers. They're investment groups. Mm. They're real estate investment trusts. Like banks. When I talk about trusts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going. I'm about to say it this way. You know, the, the majority. You know those white guys we talk about? Yeah, those white guys, they come together and they have a pool of five, ten, fifteen million dollars because they get their rich friends from New York and Ohio and California to put it into a pot. And they come to Chicago and they buy up all of the taxes that we cannot afford to pay on the properties we can't afford to upkeep. Because we don't have deep pockets. So soon as they lift that moratorium on the sales of the taxes, bam, the big boys coming in, they buying the taxes. Now, what's the significance of buying the taxes? Because if you don't, if it's a residential property, you have two and a half years to redeem your your taxes. So if you owe six thousand dollars in back taxes and I purchase your taxes at a tax sale, which right now they're not happening, but they will be at some point. Mm hmm. And a lot of taxes are delinquent right now. So I purchase your taxes at a tax sale. Every month I receive interest. So what was $6,000 at the end of the year, you're going to owe me about 7000 more than $7,000 with interest, fees, and costs. Mm. Are you following? Mm-hmm. Do you see? So they would just have to buy a lot of taxes. Let me see. Let me show you. Let me tell you all what's about to happen. Listen, you see how it's all going to the, the, all the dominoes are going to fall. First domino is tenants don't have to pay. So the tenants will save their money or not. Guess what? Go to Michigan Avenue and look at all of the people outside of the Louis Vuitton store, the Gucci store. I went to, on Michigan Avenue this weekend and all I saw, I hate to put it this way, black people. I saw it, too. It's full of black people shopping, young black people who are not homeowners out buying designer clothes, shoes. Look at the restaurants downtown Chicago. Who do you see? Young black people are spending money. You know why? Because they're not paying their damn. I'm sorry. Did I go too far? I went too far. I don't know that to be true. 
But let me get. But I'm telling you, it's happening. Look it's around. It's happening. I saw it's a line outside the Gucci store. Yes. I was in one of the malls, like out in Rosemont. Really nice one. Fashion show, I think is the name of it. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. I thought the line was for Starbucks. It was for Gucci. Yes. Black, right? Half Gucci. black. Oh, yeah. Half black. I, I would say three-fourths black. Yep. That's what's happening. So, so here you go. So here you go. The tenants, a lot of the tenants won't pay. They're just going to take their money, right? They're going to stick mm-hmm. it in their pocket. They're going to pay other bills. Then the landlords are not going to do the um, the maintenance and the upkeep on the property. Mm-hmm. Then the wintertime, please don't have a very cold winter because if there's a very cold winter, a lot of furnaces are not going to light. And then the landlords are not going to send anybody out. Then they're going to call the city of the city of Chicago, if it's in Chicago, or they're going to call whatever municipality they're in. Then they're going to be tickets against the landlord. Then the landlord is going to get pissed. And when the landlord gets pissed, guess what they're going to say? I don't give a damn. Take the house. And then everybody will be calling Ernest Fenton. And then I'm going to be like, I can't do this anymore because I got to hire three, four more attorneys. So if you know any attorneys looking for a job, give my office a call at just like that. We got to go, people. Welcome back to the WVON Morning Show. I am attorney Ernest B. Fenton. One of my favorite conversations. Is it really? That's got... This is a great conversation. Well, yeah, it is. It, it, it piggybacks from the conversation we had last week. But I saw an article. Uh, well, I didn't see the article. Uh, Zoe found the article. The Quiet Revolution, Looking Beyond Grades and Test Scores mm. is the name of the article. But last week we were having a conversation about affirmative action. And um, I just, you know, my position is that the criteria for admission to colleges and universities um, are a bit disingenuous because um, what universities have been uh, utilizing for 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 a long time um, to a large extent are test scores. And I think that, you know, there are limitations to test scores as predictors of, you know, who should be admitted to colleges and universities right. if the mission um, of the colleges and universities are as what I believe them to be, which is to uh, bring in a cadre of young not always young, but quote unquote young, um, starry eyed, intelligent um, individuals um, to undertake a field of study and then go off and matriculate into the world and become productive or the productive and the most productive, if you will, members of society. And I believe like sort of uh, delineating who has that ability uh, based upon test scores is at best disingenuous. On the line with us is... Miss Allison Chisholm, head of college counseling uh, practice. Who? How are you, Allison? Good morning. I am well, thank you. It's good to be here. Yes. So I know you have limited time, and I'm very excited to just listen to you. So you heard what I said, but uh, my understanding is that here. Let me read a bit. Allison Cooper Chisholm, right? Did I pronounce that correctly? You got it right. Yep. Yep. It's not the easiest one. (laughs) CEO of Ivy College Consulting and a former admissions officer at Select Colleges. I can only imagine what Select Colleges means. Uh, (laughs) So one was um, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. One Mm -hmm. was the University of Chicago in your own hometown. And I have to say that I miss Chicago a lot. And one was Dartmouth College. So a variety, but all private universities that use what they refer to as holistic admissions. Yeah. And so um, Allison, she did something, and I'm trying to transition into it. But anyhow, she calls it the quiet revolution in college admissions, whereby admissions officers realize that non-cognitive skills predict long-term success better than test scores. So, Allison, I need to just jump out into this because I thought test scores were a bit of a sham. I mean, it's not a complete sham. I think my my idea or concept is this. Okay, we're being admitted into a university. I need to know that you have the ability to do the coursework, right? So, like, that may be a threshold test score. So if that's a 7 on a scale of a 10, anyone above a 7 can do the work. Right. And so so like saying that I should admit all the students with nines and tens 
doesn't necessarily serve the aim or the mission of the university. So this concept of, let's say, as an example, minorities not scoring as well, I don't think it's necessarily a question of do minorities score as well on test scores. I think it's a question of, well, can they do the work? (laughs) I completely agree with you, and I would say I would hazard a guess that most admissions officers do. Um, I I think that – uh, mo- I-, I listened to your intro of your uh, chat with Hannah about what you think is true, and yes, yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I think that there is a quest um, to try to find out who is going to thrive and succeed, right? right. Who is going to take advantage of the resources that are being offered by the university, and I think uh everybody's on the quest for what those measures are. Right. Um, and I will tell you that I, I think that there is an interesting thought experiment to be done um, about whether we should actually just admit everybody by lottery <laughs> and see what happens. Um, because uh-huh. I think that the truth is that a lot of people would survive and do quite well because, of course, developmentally, um, people kind of catch on fire at different rates, right? And that mm-hmm. the past is not always predictive of the future. But let's just assume for a minute that we are we are stuck in the regular old 2020 world where people are assuming that the past is predictive and they're looking for what in your past could we evaluate that would be predictive of your success at our college, right? Right. And you're right that a sort of threshold knowledge might be one thing that we try to evaluate. And that's all in the cognitive skills department. And I'm not really – my presentation and uh, didn't really take that up, okay? So, yes, okay, you're going to use some measure for cognitive skills. But are there things beyond cognitive skills that we know would be helpful at predicting? And there are. There are a lot of things (laughs) that would be helpful at predicting. So um, I think something that's gotten a lot of attention um, in the last several years is this concept of grit. Um, Are are you familiar with that uh, concept? I'm sure that you've used it. I think – doesn't your background include a stint in the military? Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so Ernest – I, I think that uh, military veterans are the kings and queens of grit. Correct. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and there are two parts to grit, which I think is interesting. One part is passion for a long-term goal. Mm. So, in other words, do I see myself graduating from college and wanting to go on to do something? College is a stepping stone to the next thing, right? And then the... Beyond having a passion for it, do you have the perseverance? Uh, Do you keep showing up every single day, especially when it gets hard, right? right? Um, That ability to sort of say college should be be a challenge intellectually for everybody, not just the people that come prepared. That's supposed to be taking you to the next level, right? So do you have the tenacity to keep at it? When it's hard. Can we pause right there, Allison? You have me yes, on the edge absolutely. of my seat. I need you to stay with us, but we need to go to break and pay some bills because we have traffic right, right ahead. and the news. Passion, perseverance, grit. We'll be right back. I am attorney Ernest B. Fenton on the line with us is Miss Allison Chisholm, head of college counseling practice. And we are discussing what other factors or non-cognitive factors um, play a role in determining one's ability or success um, in college and beyond. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yep. So where we left we off was, and I promise you, I'm at the, you know, I'm on the edge of my seat, and I hope people are really taking it in. <laughs> but when you're gone, I promise you, I'm going to like, you know, I'll I'll double reinforce everything that you said. But you said non-cognitive factors, and then you said grit, right? And then you began right. by saying, began by saying, well, passion, like a person yep. having passion for a long term goal. And then also perseverance is a significant um, quality of a, a candidate, if you will. 
and then you were continuing going. Well, so another quality that I think people might be surprised about, but if you think about it, it's really very straightforward is, are you good at learning? Ah. And have you shown your desire to learn? And this is not about just uh, school subjects. Have you taught yourself to play an instrument? Mm. Have you dived deep into some hobby that you have? Have you um, decided that you're going to become the world's expert on a subject just because you like it? I I can't tell you the number of uh, students I've worked with who uh, have become totally fascinated by sharks because of Discovery Shark Week. Shark Week seems to be a real big thing. And they go on to teach themselves a huge amount about sharks beyond what Discovery Channel has. And they're just into sharks, right? And they want to learn everything about sharks. Admissions officers are interested in knowing those things because it means that you know how to learn. Right. And that you have developed skills for learning that don't depend on anybody else setting it up for you, right? That you're going to go out there and grab what you can grab and use your skill set to learn knowledge. Um, and uh, so, so just a proven ability to learn inside or outside of the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, about something that you like to do. Uh, another important thing is, a uh, this is a growth mindset, mm. um, and the growth mindset says, "I don't think that I am who I'm going to be forever." Right? I I can grow and change. Given opportunities, I will learn things, grow, uh, develop my opinions, develop my understanding of the world. And go out there and be a better person tomorrow than I was today. Right. Right? And that combined with a belief that you can do that, combined with grit, which is that perseverance and passion, you've got somebody that's going to go the distance and take advantage of, and somebody who can learn. You've got somebody who's going to go and come to your college and just burn it up. Yep. Right? Yep. And that's the kind of student that they're all looking for. Right. Um, And a test score surely doesn't measure any of that. Right, right. What's the balance between the test scores and the non-cognitive, the intangible? Well, that depends on on the college. But I'll tell you what, COVID has (laughs) tipped the balance, right? So (laughs) right now... Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's 100% in, well, I would say, let's start there. It's, it's not 100% on the non, non-cognitive side. They're still going to be me- measuring cognitively, but they're right. going to be looking at your grade. Right. And they're going to be looking at other measures of cognitive skills rather than the test scores because nobody can take the test. So mm-hmm. almost every university at this point is test optional. It's what people that uh, have great concern about the validity of the test as a predictive instrument, particularly for certain um, students, have been waiting for. So nobody likes that COVID has come, but this is perhaps a silver lining for all college applicants this year. Um, And we're going to get a lot of data (laughs) about whether or not those test scores mattered um, from this year, right? Uh, so this year, I would say that you have got a pretty, pretty equal weight between cognitive and non-cognitive um, uh, evaluation, right? right. They're, they're looking to evaluate, but the assessment is going to be pretty evenly weighted. And you probably wonder, well, then how do I show these things? How do I show grit or how do I show? Mm. Um, and that's where the extra essays that they ask you to write yes. or the questions that they ask you to answer yep. are everything. Yep. Right? Yeah. And if you think about using those essay questions, regardless of what they ask you, to demonstrate that you have one of these non-cognitive skills, one or more of these non-cognitive skills, right? Do you have a long – so, for example, 
uh, a lot of them ask, what are you interested in studying or what do you want to do? What is your dream for your future? Right there is a chance to attach yourself to a long-term goal Mm -hmm. and show how you imagine yourself succeeding at that goal, right? Or a question that asks you about, tell me a story of when you did XXX is a chance to show your perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, or as a chance to show how you went out of your way to get knowledge on a particular subject that you had an interest in. Yeah. Um, and so that's really the open sesame. Um, and I think students don't always appreciate what what those questions are meant to elicit, right? What What are they really trying to get at? What is the right answer to this question? And it's not like a test question where the right answer to what, what year we, you know, uh, as a country established the Constitution, that, that's 1787. That's an easy one, right? But tell me a story about when, well, why are they asking me when I did something and what, it, what, what do they want to know about that story? And that's where you pay attention to those non-cognitive. What, what do the, if, if you have any information on it, what, what does the data say um, regarding, I, I, if there is much data on this, but what does the data say uh, regarding um, the success of students who had more of the grit as opposed to the, you know, object who, who, who performed at the higher end of things um, by the objective measurements or standards of test scores? To my knowledge, there isn't a lot of comparative data, Ernest. So, like, as you're asking this group versus that group, right, Does, do, do – um, Students with high test scores but no grit do better than students with high grit but lower test scores. We don't have that data, but what we do have is unequivocal data that if you have grit, you are likely to graduate from college. You are going to make it through, and and you have the requisite knowledge set. Now, there is is data that if, if you haven't had an adequate college preparatory high school experience, grit's not going to make up for everything. Right. 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 But it is going to distinguish those that have equal preparatory experience by who is actually going to make it through. So it's as or more predictive um, of success as test scores. So if we know that test scores and we do know this. I, I, I don't want to hide the ball on this. We know that test scores are discriminatory. There's no right. question about it. Um, we know that class and race and nationality and right. ethnicity all play into test scores. And so, and they, they play in, I mean, there, there is no reason to believe that one group of people are inherently less smart, right? right. No reason at all. That's completely fallacious. So we know that test scores have bias. Grit doesn't seem to have a bias. Right, right. <laughs> right? Everybody has a chance to persevere and pass. Now, the opportunities you have may be different, but your ability to develop grit is not different at all. Hey, Allison, so, we have a hard break in like 20 seconds. If there's like, I like, yeah, if we take the break and then on the other side of the break, I would love for you to wrap it up, how we can read no more problem. about it and all that other good stuff. All right. Okay. All right, people. This is the WVOM Morning Show. I am attorney Ernest. The Quiet Revolution, looking beyond grades and test scores and um, non-cognitive factors. On the line with us is Allison Chisholm, head of college counseling and practice. Ms. Chisholm, I wanted to give you an opportunity to just share any final thoughts and how can we read up more about it and anything we should know. Well, final thoughts are, I hope that every college applicant out there is going to focus on showing off some of these non-cognitive attributes. And if they want to uh, look for a couple of ways to figure out how to do that, um, my company has a product called InLine. It's a software product that you can download for free um, that gives you hints on how to complete the common application, which is used by a lot of uh, colleges, and it will guide you through how to show off these attributes in um, your common application. And if you learn how to do it there, you can learn how to do it elsewhere, and that's at Inline Coach, I N L I N E Coach, C O A 
com. And then if you want to <laughs> read a fairly dry title, but something that will actually tell you exactly um, what these non-cognitive factors are, there is an um, article on USC's website um, co-authored by a local guy, a guy at DePaul, um, called Non-Cognitive Variables in Action, DePaul and Oregon State, um, Presentation on Attributes that maj- Matter. And DePaul has been using this pr- uh, method of admissions for quite some time and has been a leader on that front, and so you can find that. Um, there's also a textbook out there or an academic book out there but it's very expensive to buy and not easily found so i hate to recommend that um for people that are just trying to figure out how to apply to college and um, be successful so if you want that book it's by a guy named sidlasic and it's beyond the big test non-cognitive assessment in higher education so those are three resources you can go and use and um I hope people will be successful. Uh, it's the it's the year it's the year to do it. Yep. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I'm certainly going to read up um, on some of this and 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 also check out your software and continue to trumpet the cause, ma'am. Thank you. I am so glad. Thank you, Ernest. I really appreciate the time. Yep. Thank you. Have a good rest All of right. your day and enjoy that dancing. I'm kind of <laughs> jealous. I know, right? All right. <laughs> She know we have fun over here. All right, take it easy. I know. (laughs) All right. All right, people. The lines are open at 773-591-1690-773-591-1690. So let's let's take this up. There are a few, few ways we can take this conversation. One, I'd like to reinforce what I shared last week with you about affirmative action, which is like I said we don't need affirmative action with respect to college admissions. And there were a couple of people, and this is not about me responding to a couple of people. It's more about me setting a stage, right? People, when they hear that, they resist. And the temptation is, well, you know, what do you mean we don't need affirmative action to be admitted into colleges. I'm saying we don't need affirmative action because I believe one, that affirmative action, the stigma of affirmative action out. Well, one, there's a stigma of affirmative action. That's number one. Uh, Number two, I believe that the majority to the extent that they do desire affirmative action. And we're only talking about the educational uh, context of affirmative action right now. I think, I think, um, and again, it's not about the majority, but I'll say it anyway. I think the majority likes the concept or the idea. They like to perpetuate the thought that black people, many black people do not deserve to be admitted into the universities that they are in. Right. And I would like to dispel that myth. I'm saying we don't need affirmative action in the educational for admission into many colleges and universities, probably all, because the the basis of affirmative action is to give us access into institutions that we have historically um, had not had access the idea of access for black people into in these institutions in modern day times or lack of access in modern day times was not premised on this notion of we don't want black people It's premised on the notion that black people do not score high enough on tests. And my position is I'm saying we're approaching affirmative action the wrong way. Really, we shouldn't be talking about affirmative action. What we should be talking about is the fact that colleges and universities are practicing racism, hear me, because what they are utilizing as a determinant to, to, for access into the college and university, university is arbitrary. And what's arbitrary 
is the utilization of test scores as the primary determining factor of entry into the university. So if we strip down the veil of access into these universities, right, which is per se racist, if we strip that veil and say, well, test scores per se as an arbitrary measurement should not be given so much weight and that admission needs to be non non-racist one but it also should be more inclusive as a matter of right as a matter of right so then the conversation that we've just had with allison would necessarily require right and i hope you all are following me it will necessarily require that universities and colleges not only be able to utilize or allowed if you will to utilize test scores as a determining factor if they do so at all but they have to to some extent incorporate non-cognitive factors into their determination of who should be admitted into their university and if that is done then this whole concept of affirmative action will not to a large extent, it's not, I have to look at the numbers, but to a large extent, we would not need affirmative action. If you looked at grit, if you looked at perseverance, if you looked at passion, and then you determined you had a baseline or a threshold um, objective measurement as it relates to test scores, I'm believing that we'd have the same or more black people admitted to the colleges and universities that we have historically had not access to. I bet you never heard that one. So guess what? Ten years from now, Hannah, when you all hear that argument, remember that you heard it first from Ernest B. Fenton. Remember that you heard it first because I've never heard that argument. I'm sure some people out there are making the argument. I'm sure of it if you're an educator. So I don't want you to hear me. I don't don't use unsophisticated ears and hear me saying we don't need affirmative action. Attorney Fenton, you bougie. What are you talking about? Everybody, you affirm. Now I'm saying I'm saying it's all garbage. I'm saying the notion of the necessity of affirmative action is garbage. If you strip away the fact that these colleges and universities are using these arbitrary measurements called test scores, because who has more grit than black people? Who can evidence the ability to go from A to A to Z like black people? We'd be dominating the and then we'd have a mind shift. As black people, we need to shift our mindset. I want to talk. Why did you let me go over? We have traffic and weather up. Karen, you're up next. Seven seven three five nine one sixteen ninety. Lines are open. Seven seven. Karen, I'll take you next. Seven seven three five nine one sixteen ninety. Traffic and weather. We have just made history on WVON right now. I think. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I'm not sure. But I just heard Turbine and Hannah actually hit a harmony. I heard a harmony. <laughs> I heard that too. Did you I heard hear that, that harmony? Mm-hmm. I heard it. I'm just mad I wasn't. Oh, I was involved. I was carrying the other side. But you you all just came. It was like it came across. I was like, what? Was that harmony? Making a band. I'm Making saying, you were the guy with the stick, you know, like, yeah, da, da, da. Oh, man, you put me on a tambourine? <laughs> How are you going to put me on a tambourine? <laughs> well, I say tambourine, the conductor. The, yeah. Oh, the conductor. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. okay. Fine, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> Let's go to the line, 773-591-1690. Let's go to Karen on line one. Will, you're up next. Y'all got me in here dancing. And, and, and listen, they didn't have to go to a university to realize that they were connected to make a harmony. Look, yeah. I just got to say this. This is so wonderful that you're on the air because they got the associates, the bachelors, the masters, and the doctrine, right? Mm. This world, this Western culture has just been insulting to steal from the universe. So they stole from the universe to create their universities. How dare you tell someone by taking a test, they have nothing to bring into this world. Mm. Associate yourself with nature. That's what we come from. And in order to associate ourselves with nature properly, you need to remain a bachelor for as long as you can so you can pay attention. So as you associate yourself with nature by remaining a bachelor, you begin to master all of the man-made dis 
eases that the Western, Western European culture has put upon you. And then guess what? You become the doctor of your own world. Black people, we are becoming the doctors of our own destination. How dare a university steal from the universe to tell us what the creator already gave us? Wake up, my people. Things are being torn down so you can be built up. I love it, and you keep giving yeah, don't that Don't hang energy up. Still. Don't hang up. Yes. This phone, Karen, I promise you, I'll call you as soon as I leave. <laughs> okay. Hannah's in here giving you a standing ovation. I am like clapping, Karen. We need to have Karen on the show. I told her she's going to host. Yeah, can we like have Karen on the show? That was amazing, Karen. What you just said. See there, Karen. Listen, I, I just want to say this, and I'm so sincere. Everything that's happening in the world is for us. Everything. We've been bamboozled. Okay, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Hey, Karen. So you speaking to the point of very well said. But let me just. I'm going to stay on this point. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take Madeline. But see what Karen, I'm going to take one extra step from what Karen is saying. I'm saying the bamboozle is that they have been using test scores to tell us that we don't qualify. Based, yeah. Right. And I'm saying we don't need affirmative action because the wall, this whole rationale of why we need affirmative action is because we can't get the score. And the score is doesn't even qualify you. That's my point. If they if they really wanted the best and brightest students, there would be no need for affirmative action for black people because we are amongst the best and the brightest. But their their idea or concept or measurement of best and brightest is a damn test score. And that's ridiculous. That's my point. Let's go to Will online too. Hey. Good morning. I just wanted to share that a lot of what you are talking about, about evaluating uh, students uh, with grit and resiliency, along with academic achievement, uh, that's happening at Governor State University now. And it's just the fact that the university has used AIM High dollars, which are scholarship dollars that the state of Illinois has provided to assist students to be able to attend uh, higher education, uh, uh, especially publics in Illinois, and we focus on adding grit to that formula. So it's not just a test score, but it's the ability to overcome, to exceed, to persist on, uh, and it's a larger conversation. So uh, I agree with you, and the, uni and the university has been enacting this for at least the last two years. So I just wanted to let you know that there is a university that uh, is online with what you're saying in that fashion. Yep. And I'm saying these other institutions who are leaning on test scores and telling black people and other black uh, other folk that they don't qualify because they're not smart enough need to be sued as per se but, racist. And if we take down the veil, there will be less need or no need for this this stigma, if you will, this labeling of affirmative action. We should be suing the institutions. And, what I would, and, and this is my own personal opinion, that uh, exclusion of admission doesn't automatically tell you that the institution it is of better quality Correct. or someone's going to have a better academic experience. Correct. Uh, and, and, and so uh, there's uh, plenty of universities and colleges out there that uh, have highly qualified faculty members uh, who are, has a large, successful alumni base. And that uh, maybe we need to broaden Correct. the institutions that we uh, value. Correct. That's all. That goes. That goes to to our conditioning. So we need to recondition ourselves. See, we're always. You know what I mean. We want the thing that's most exclusive. So that's also part of it. Thank you, Will. And one, and one last thing is just to remember uh, too. Uh, not only do you want the academic experience to prepare you for the workforce. Uh, but once you come together, you'll build an alumni base that will provide a network for students that can help students matriculate through the school and prepare them for career readiness afterwards. Yep. Thank you, sir. Very Thank well. you. Yep. I, I, I'm aware that many schools utilize, you know, more than test scores. Let's go to Madeline on line three. Madeline. Hello? Yes, ma'am. We have a minute, yeah, how you doing? minute and a half. I, yes. Listen, minute and a half. I'm glad that you're talking about this. Uh, 
Attorney Fenton, because I've I've had in my lifetime up and down experiences with standardized tests. I've been to uh, under when we talk about here. I heard what your uh, guest was saying about grit mm-hmm. and cognitive skills and and uh, and what really matters in school outside of put aside the standardized test issue. And now I'm talking about it at the graduate level, graduate schools, medical and law school. Why do we think that the law profession and medical profession are so unrepresented with black folks? It's the doggone standardized tests that have been a barrier. Yeah, they want us out. It should be sued as per se racist. Yeah, it's it's, it's arbitrary. A large part of it is arbitrary. Exactly. And I tell you this because I'm getting ready to apply to law school for next year. I was accepted back 50, almost 50 years ago, but I didn't go because they weren't my my top schools that I wanted to go to. But I'm going back through the process now because now I have figured out why I should be in law. I'm, and I'm saying to you, that law school admission test, I got a couple of uh, colleagues yeah. who have taken the test, and it, it, it absolutely terrorized. It's ridiculous. Is, yeah, how does yeah. that tell you how well someone will be as an attorney? It doesn't. It's just it doesn't. a test. It it's doesn't. just a hard test. All right, Madeline, we have exactly. to go to a hard break. Okay, no problem. All right, thank you. I am attorney Ernest B. Fenton, so Addie, you'll like this conversation. Um. We've been having a conversation about um, utilizing test scores as he's working on a test right now, utilizing test scores as the primary determining factor as uh, for admittance, admittance into a college or university. And I had on a young lady who um, said that non-cognitive factors are as important or more important, I think she was alluding to, than test scores. And so a lot of universities and colleges are going away from test scores and looking at other variables and factors, right? Although test scores, you know, they have their place, I just believe that there has been an over-reliance, you know, on test scores. We have some folk on the phone who's going first. Let's go to Al, line four. Got about a minute, Al. How are they? Hey, hey, how you doing? Yes, I'm good. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Hey, uh, I think you do need affirmative action because uh, in the early 70s when they had it, I think I think from 1970 to 75, that's the only time in the history of the United States where African Americans went to college at the same rate as white people. And that was professional schools as well, medical and law school. And then when they saw it was working, they stopped it with that Baki and that reverse racism crowd. That's why they stopped it. So I think whether it's test or not, the white folks are going to keep finding, they're going to keep moving the fence. If it ain't test, they're going to say it's something else you got to have, something that they know is deficient in your community. So I think you got to have affirmative action to, to assure that you get 20% of those spots or whatever according to your population. Because they're going to keep playing games with these rules. If it ain't a test, it's going to be something else. It's going to, well, they're going to keep coming up with stuff that, that you don't have in your community. Yeah, so, but I understand. Great. Go ahead. Go ahead, brother. No, I understand what you're saying, and this may be semantics, but I'd like you to consider this semantical argument that I'm providing you, okay? I do. First, if you understand white folks, they're going to keep they're going they're going to keep changing. I understand, but what I'm saying is that then we need to we need to tear the roots out is what I'm saying, Al. You follow? I'm not saying that in the meantime like while we're ripping the while we're killing the roots, we need to start killing the roots. I guess that's what I'm saying at some point, And because the and, and while we're killing the roots and I'm not saying like, okay, end affirmative action tomorrow. I know you're not suggesting that either. I'm saying that there's another term other than affirmative action. I think we need to, I need to, we, we need to be working toward um, extinguishing this concept that somehow you need to set aside spots for us because we're not qualified. So affirmative oh, no. action so, so has because we are qualified. Well, oh, we are well, I got you, but I got you. That's but you know that's not the interpretation. That's mine. But I'm saying, I'm saying, but my position is, I don't need you to set aside a damn thing. I need you to just do right. And if you do right, do and if, I, I, but Al, do Al, I'm saying we have to at least at least approach it though. And so then let's they not vote. Never, then Al, right. then I'm they not voting. Vote Forget it. I'm voting for Trump. You're right. You're right. They're never going to do right. <laughs> You get my point? That's my counter to you. If they're never going to do right, then why are we trying? No, you got to try to set a stack. Okay, so that's my point. I'm saying, well, let's try to uproot it then. 
You you keep okay, your response to me is they're never going to do. Well, then let's stop trying. Let's not no, vote Democrat. They're never going to teach you. Okay, right, then. You take what's yours. Take That's what's my yours. point. Let's up. Let's let's kill the roots. Is what I'm saying. All right, I'm with you. All right, I'm with you. <laughs> right, and so we can coexist. Let's out. We can coexist. I am with you too. They're never going to do right. So we need some form of reconciliation for the dishonesty that exists in the system. I got that. I'm just simply saying that there's a, maybe another way to go about it. And that's that's all. But we can both coexist. Okay. All right. I'm thank right, you, brother. sir. But I, I'm with you. All right. Let's go to Jim. Jim. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, sir. Good. You know, when people talk about affirmative action, I like to uh, bring up the fact that uh, – Orchestras, when they're doing auditions, they have these blind auditions where people walk into a room, they're hidden by a curtain or whatever, and you can't you know, hear their footprint because they're carpeting or they're wearing socks or whatever. And all they can do is listen to the quality of the music that they're uh, auditioning for before they're selected for that orchestra. And the problem is when you have these things like affirmative action, you know, basically you're putting somebody else's color or who they are, what they are, whatever, versus what they can actually do. And, you know, this is part of the problem because I've had friends that have been passed over because they had to have some kind of quota for some, you know, group or whatever it was versus who was best qualified. And one time I had a conversation with a young lady um, about it, and she was all for it. I said, well, you know, the Chicago Bulls in basketball has, have a bunch of tall guys in it. You know, why not, why not provide, you know, let's have an opportunity for short, you know, Chinese guys to play in basketball so they can be more diverse and That's right, and have Jim. part of the – yeah, and of course, they, then she said, well, they wouldn't be as good. Well, can that's I, right. Can I jump in, Jim? Let's jump yes, in. Let's take it one point at a time, okay? All right. Um, first and foremost, I don't think that any majorities have been passed over because the majority are the majority pretty much everywhere, right? But here's what the mean here, by that? Well, I'm saying, like, if there are 100 students in a university or in a room, 90 are the majority, so to say that I've been passed over because ten there are ten others, I mean, doesn't that raise a question when you when you're ninety percent? So you're saying like they're not like just logically, you wouldn't think to yourself maybe there is ten percent of others who may actually be qualified. But here nor there, that's not. The, I don't want to go there. Let's not go there. Here's All the right. here's here's the issue, Jim. Jim, the the determining factor, and we're talking about education, which is test scores are arbitrary, and they are not indicators of who is best qualified. So like, so, so white people, as an example, saying that they're being passed over for less qualified individuals when the qualification is a test score, which is arbitrary, which does not speak to one's necessary ability in school or beyond, which is the mission of the educational institution, is to produce the most productive members of society, then how are you being excluded? The people well, being excluded. See, you, hold on, Jim. The yeah. folk who are being excluded are the ones who are being most hampered in their progress by this arbitrary measurement called test scores, Jim. Well, you know, you, you, you cleverly swerve into a different uh, topic, which is the whole educational system itself. We have system like in Baltimore. You know, you've seen that Kim Klasica commercials where she walks through the – Baltimore neighborhoods and, you know. Yes, yes, and this, yes. this is a very effective commercial. Well, it's also shown that out of these, all these public schools in Baltimore, these people graduating are not proficient at anything, especially the grade levels, especially when they graduate high school. You know what, so Jim? they're spending all this money. No, you're correct. Hey, Jim, I'm going to have to go yeah, to well, break. I don't want to cut you off. I'm sorry. I appreciate right, the call. Thank you, sir. But, Jim, let me tell you this. We're not yes, talking sir. about them. We're talking about the ones who are ready. We got to go to break, Jim. Would be ready for Tra- education. Traffic you. and weather next. So you're going to the lowest denominator, the less, the most least qualified in our community as the example. But how about the ones who are ready, Jim? We'll be right back. I'm trying to be careful. I don't know. Maybe we'll save this for Friday. Hannah, will you be here Friday? Yes, I will. Because you gave me certain cues that mm-hmm. makes me want to go into another conversation like relationships. Because, Turbine, can you turn? I don't want the audience to hear what I'm about to say. But there was something about relationships and, like, being single and a bachelor when Karen was speaking. And then Hannah threw up her hands like, yeah, be a bachelor. And it just concerned me, Turbine. But I know right now it's not the time. I know exactly time. what you're talking about. You, did you see Turbine? No, because I was agreeing with her. <laughs> Hold up. We need to have this conversation Friday, Hannah. I saw you. Karen was speaking truth, man. But hold on. But check this out. 
the audience thought I was just playing, and then Turbine just seconded. He was like, yeah, I saw it too. And then Hannah was like, 100%. See, I t- I'm telling you, audience, you all think I'm playing, but sometimes <laughs> I'm not playing. When Karen was like, yeah, then you a bachelor, and then, then her Hannah's hand went up. I was like, Hannah? Okay, Hannah, hold that thought. We're coming uh-huh. back to this. You know I'm not going to let it die, Hannah. Okay. <laughs> you know you won't. You know, let's go to William on line one. I'm sorry. I had to get that out. I had to get that out before I forgot. Hey, yeah, and I, and I may jump in on that a little bit because I think <laughs> yeah. with the new generation is accountability. So if yeah. you want to be free of everything – you you know you don't you don't stand for anything. So I think part of that detachment, whether it's buying a house, in a relationship, mm. even having a pet, you know what I mean. That like I don't want anything because I don't want to be attached to anything. I don't want any responsibility, mm. and that that prevents your growth. So mm. I'll just throw that out there. But where I was going to go far as uh, going left, way left field, I think if we're if you're not looking to become like a doctor or a lawyer. I would really second consider if you need higher education. You know, I really, I think it's, it's a fallacy. If you hear the talk that's happening out of Silicon Valley, most the most brilliant, you know, highly successful billionaires, they are talking against education at this point. If you see that we're over a trillion dollars in debt that these students are, like the Hannahs and, you know, the people you're talking about, and, and so they come out feeling dejected because there's no sense of purpose. They've been sold this dream that, you go to school, you're going to do all these things just to come out, and they miss, you know, four or six years of their lives in terms of where they can be highly productive in designing their lives. So I would just kind of toss that as a deal. It's not to, to think that this is the only way out, meaning to go into school, that you have to come out, and, you know, you're going to live your dreams, you're going to be, you know, happily ever in life, but but there's uh, different alternatives. I mean, kicking up trades is, is massive right. now. You know, my grandfather who came up here from Mississippi, you know, his deal was he was able to go to a two- to three-month school to basically, you know, set our family up as a foundation. And so, and, and, and if you look, society is 80 90% C. I mean, keeping it real, we're C students. You know, so only the 10%, if you will, the cream of the crop. Well, I right. would say cream of the crop. I wouldn't say that, but just the people who, who have higher professions academically. Got it. So the 80 to 90% is, you know, those C students. So how do you get along in life if you're not that brilliant? You know, so there's things that you can still reach for destination. Thank you. All right, William. Yeah, yeah I think that th- I'm, I'm, I understand what you are saying. Um, and I think we have to look at it um, in a different way and reinterpret what it means not to have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. I think the same um, position that I posed as it relates to test scores, like they are arbitrary, so too then I can pose that argument and say education, and lar- a formal education in many regards is also arbitrary. It's not an indicator of one's um, ability or potential in the future to be a productive member of society, with few exceptions. I've always stated and um, when Addy reads my book and when Hannah finishes my book and with, t- hold on, <clears throat> when Hannah finishes my book, when Addy finishes my book, when Zoe finishes my book, when Turbine finishes my book, I promise you I'm going to call next week. You all have one week to finish my book. But in my book, I, I talk about the fact that I never went to school to become a lawyer. I went to school to get smart and see a degree. You don't, I didn't go to school for the degree. I went to school for the information and the context and the discipline that an institution would provide me. And if so, and so, you know, for me, school is, it's not about the paper. I see, see, it's not school that's failing many, many of us. It's not the university failing us. It's the concept that we go into the university with. 
Well, See, you, I, hold I, on. I, let me finish. Okay. Let me really. How are you about to answer what I, I haven't finished? Okay. Go hold ahead. on. How do you know? What, say what I'm about to say, Anna. See, well, that's, when that's you what youth does right there. See, I haven't <laughs> even finished the thought. You said go the ahead. concept. You said the concept is what ruined us. And just for me, it's the concept that they, they feed us about school. The concept that they give all for school is you need to come here. You need to get a degree in order to get a I job. I understand. And I'm saying that you don't have to accept that. And right. if you create that's your the concept, they give correct. Off. I'm saying if you create your own context for your experience at a university, mm-hmm. then you it will serve you better. So I'm saying it's not necessarily not necessarily the university that's failing us. It's the notions and the it's the ideas that we enter into the university with that mm-hmm. fail us. OK, Can I say something. Sure. I, I would say what's failing us the most about universities is the cost. Well, that's a different conversation. Yep. But I'm that's... talking about the educational experience. Forget okay. forget what you owe when you leave. Mm-hmm. That's separate. I'm talking uh, about just from a growth standpoint. What What is it? No, I was just making a comment on how much money you're going to owe afterwards. Yeah, but we're yeah. not talking about money right now. We're talking it, about growth. feels like the root of it because that's the biggest problem. That's the biggest debt. Like, if it wasn't as expensive, it would be a great opportunity, you know, but it's just because of the price, how much debt you're in, how long it takes to pay that debt, if you're ever able to pay that debt. You don't have to really go to school for every major. Like the caller just said, lawyers, doctors, okay, go to school. But, like... If you want to be in real estate, if you want to do television, production, whatever, you can just get experience. You can start a YouTube. All right. So hear me. You all just mixed. You just changed the conversation. <laughs> I know it's kind okay, of Okay. No, no. Just slow down. Talk. Let me talk to you. Okay. See, it's the mindset that you take into the experience that's going to cost you. It ain't the bill that you leave with. Because if you go into the environment with the proper mindset, the bill that you leave with will be small. There are opportunities that exist between those four walls, but you have to know how to leverage them. Okay. And that's That's what it's about. When I left Harvard law school with my hundred thousand dollars debt, do you think a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money for a Harvard law education? No, no, it's a penny. Mm -hmm. It's a penny in our world. Do you know, set probably if I had to guess 60 or 70 percent of the people I went to law school with will die millionaires, multimillionaires. You know what that what that represents? A hundred thousand is nothing for the average. But it's the mindset that you enter into. See, kids are going into school thinking, oh, I owe 50,000. I owe 70,000. It ain't the money. That's the problem. It's that you're thinking too small. That's your problem. And so when I start hearing people saying school costs too much money, it informs me that you're not prepared to play the game that you're talking about. Now, to your point, Hannah, I'm not disparaging your point. Mm -hmm. Everyone doesn't have to go to college. I'm just talking about, but college is just one avenue to create your life. It's just one. It's not like, it's not, it's not in opposition to anything. If you don't want to go, don't go. But for those of those who want to go, go and kill it and make it work for you. That's it. All right, people, that's the end of the show. I am attorney Ernest Big Fenton.